From the offices of Courtney Dehoff, a.k.a. her apartment in Dallas, the cowgirl-turned-television host brings you the Cowgirl Problems Podcast. This podcast is where country and city living collide. Cowgirl Problems is dedicated to anyone who is trying to figure out what the heck they're doing with their life. It's for the cowgirls, cowboys, entertainers, and everyday hustlers sorting through all of life's problems. Buckle up. Here goes nothing. Welcome to another episode of the Cowgirl Problems Podcast. I am really pumped to have one of my very favorite um, Montanans uh, joining me. Becca Skinner um, is on the podcast today, and Becca is just like so cool. You're just so cool. A photographer, you know, you're a writer, a, a conservationist, and you are a farmer, my friend. I, I've, I know I've told you, yes, girl, you are a farmer. So, Becca, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that last title, I feel like, ooh, wait, are you sure you're allowed to say that? Am I allowed to say that? Am I a farmer? I'm yes. getting more used to it. Yes, yes. And we're going to talk about that. And that's one of the, the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, because I always have such great conversations with you about farming and ranching and, and titles and stereotypes. And I'm like, oh, Becca is such a good one. But I want to sort of start at the beginning with your story. I understand that you grew up in Wyoming um, and you have always been a bit of an adventurous because for everyone listening, we're going to tell the whole story, but like Becca has, is just like always on a cool, like I kind of want to live your life. Like you're always doing something cool. So tell us how it all sort of got started. Yeah. So I grew up bouncing back and forth between Colorado and Wyoming, but I definitely, I claim Wyoming just because I resonate so much more with that landscape. And um, that's where I've now spent most of my adult life. So I grew up in kind of a suburban living family, but my grandparents were outfitters and had an outfitting business about until the early 2000s. So we grew up going to this outfitting camp um, every, every year just, to visit my grandparents, but we grew up around hunting and fishing and outdoor adventure. And my family as a whole, um, we're all kind of these outdoor adventures to this extreme level. And so most of my relatives on my dad's side were mountaineers and did a lot of rock climbing, um, either professionally or recreationally or skied professionally or recreationally um, a long line of people who just love mountains. So when I was in college, I was studying uh, social work and grant writing at the University of Wyoming. And I was kind of trying to be in the professional rock climbing circuit and that just wasn't working out for me. <laughs> um, and I had been playing around with the camera that I got when I graduated high school and I ended up falling totally accidentally in love with photography just through the love of taking photos every day when I took my dog for a walk and so that really ended up turning into my career and with this adventure as a background. So cool and I want to talk a little bit more about the photography. I actually 
I got on your website and I learned something new. I did not know this because I was sort of like, I wonder how she got, you talk about how you get, got into photography, but for everyone listening, when we say photography, we mean like national geographic level photography, which is just the coolest thing. It like gives me goosebumps to be like, yeah, I know a Nat Geo photographer. Like she's amazing. But I read that you actually won the National Geographic Young Explorer grant to go to Indonesia and photograph post like tsunami Indonesia. What was that like? I read that and I thought, wow, what a life-changing experience that must have been. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, that was the really, that was a big first part of my career, if you can imagine. And I had done a project in college that I had won a grant through the university to document five years after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And to be kind of just starting out and thinking like, oh, being a photojournalist sounds so cool. And you just like go and you find these stories. I was thrown into it. And it ended up being this combination of social work that I was studying, where I was listening to people's stories, but actively being able to translate those stories through images into data or just I was able to kind of give people a taste of that emotion through images and so I had applied for this National Geographic Young Explorers grant um, and the first time I applied for it I got turned down and so I started a new application the next day and um, myself and another uh, colleague of mine at the University of Wyoming, uh, we applied for this grant to go to Indonesia to photograph post-tsunami Banda Aceh, Sumatra. So they had been hit the hardest in the 2005 tsunami and just really got got rocked. Um, And so we ended up winning that grant um, or being awarded that grant to go photograph and, and do this through the grant program at National Geographic. And that grant program is awesome. It gets people in the field who are young um, and are really looking for their first field experience. So they've now shifted the name of that grant to the Early Career Grant. And I am just such a big advocate of young people applying for this because you come up with a project, you're supported by National Geographic, and it opens all of these doors for you. Um, and just really allows you to have a platform for sharing your stories. So that was a really big deal. Really big deal. That is so cool. What a cool opportunity. I love that you shared that because I'm, I'm sitting here going, man, you forget about grants sometimes. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if there are any like, you know, TV hosts, like if they want to send a fancy lady cowgirl to some ranch somewhere <laughs> cool to do something. And so I love that you share that. Now I, I want our listeners to know how we met. So Becca, I, was speaking, we were both speaking at, uh, in Montana at their ACE program. They have this great um, program that the Farm Bureau does, and we were both speakers. And you, I think you spoke before me, so I got to sit there and listen to you speak. You had actually been doing some work with like farms and ranches, uh, and you sort of told the story of like, hey, I don't come from this background. I don't know a lot about this type of, you know, this culture, this cowboy, this ranching culture. And it was just such an eye-opening 
message for all of us sitting there because everyone in the room was a farmer or a rancher. So talk a little bit about your work um, that you've done on farms and ranches across the U.S. Sure. So really my work right now and in the past probably two years has been mostly focused on how land is being used. And I started to get into this by a few different methods, but I was invited on this environmental stewardship tour where a ranch in Montana was winning an award because they were doing sustainable ranching. And my friend, or then just, I get an email out of the blue after I had done a podcast and I had said, I want to get more into conservation work. And she invited me, just cold emailed me out of the blue to come on this tour. And I was like, you know, that sounds really interesting. And there's people, I thought it would be a good networking event. And it sounded, it piqued my interest because I live next to a big private ranch and I have just often seen private land and private land in the places that I want to recreate specifically as big, like red taped places. Mm-hmm. And it's always come from this perspective in my head of, why am I not allowed to be on that ranch? Like, why am I not allowed to fish there or to hunt there or to hike there? And it's always, I, I just wanted to learn more about it. And I ended up walking away from this tour fully shook. And I'm like, I know nothing. There is so much conservation happening on private land or there can be. And I had no idea. And how selfish of me to think about it from a me perspective when I should be thinking about it as, wow, they're really protecting migration routes, open land. I mean, just all of these preventing that land from being subdivided. I start to think about it in this conservation aspect and it's really framed this new passion for me of talking to ranchers and farmers about how they're utilizing their land and then educating people outside the ranching community on the beneficial things that farmers and ranchers are doing for our ecosystem, for our food system, because um, I think agriculture can sometimes get a bad rap, um, especially from people who, who might not understand it. So that's been my mission in the past two years. Oh, I love that you shared that story. And I just, I, I know I've told you this, people like you are so crucial for farmers and ranchers. We need people like you who are interested and, and come in and learn. And then I love what you said. You said, I realized I knew nothing. And I think so many of us can relate to that. And there are so many things within the agriculture industry that I don't understand, you know, and I grew up Mm -hmm. in it. And I will never forget, Becca, you know, I listened to you speak. And I hope you don't mind me sharing this story. I listened to you speak. And, you know, we were doing like a QA. and a And I raised my hand. And I said, and I asked you the question. And I don't know if you remember this. I asked you the question after you had sort of shared about going to these ranches. And I said, what can we as farmers and ranchers what do we need to do better? What has your experience been like interacting with people like us? And I remember you sort of got this like, oh, shoot, look on your face because you were sitting in a room full of farmers and ranchers. And I was not putting you on the spot. It genuinely came from a, 
I know that we need to do better, but we need to hear it from people like you as opposed to just us talking amongst ourselves about the things that we think. And, you know, and I'll never forget your answer. Do you mind sharing? Do you remember the four-wheeler story? I do. And it's funny that you bring that up because when you reacted to that story, I feel like I was just sharing something funny that happened and the way you reacted made me realize that it was a much deeper uh, ask. So I was shooting a story in rural Missouri and I was photographing some ranchers and they put me on a four-wheeler and I have like, if you've ever seen a photographer work, they have like cameras and lenses hanging off of every appendage on their body <laughs> and they're hauling around a bunch of gear. And it was the first time that I had been around people who are also moving cows on four wheelers and they go so fast. And so there's already kind of this pressure in the situation to keep up, but we, I hadn't ridden a four wheeler. I didn't know how to use it. And I could figure out just sitting there in the garage, like how to go forward, but I had to back up and I saw the thing out. I like tried to push it. I could not figure out how to make this ATV go into reverse. And I was horrified, but finally the rancher came back for me, like after probably 10 minutes realizing that I wasn't behind him. <laughs> And uh, he showed me how to do it. And I was like, okay, I promise to myself and everyone else I'll ever work with in the future that I am taking note of how to reverse the four-wheeler and I will never let this happen again. And I was so horrified, but I just hadn't learned. And I think the assumption sometimes of working in the agricultural community and not having come from there is that I, I don't know a lot of those things and I'm learning and so I think my advice was start at square one and ask the journalist or the media person you're working with before you put them on a horse or a four-wheeler uh, if they know how to ride or drive it. Mm -hmm. And you know I think my reaction was just I think everyone in the room was like nodding because we have all done that. And I think I, I hope I told you, you know, that is not a facetious thing from the farmer and rancher standpoint. We just, it, like you said, we would think nothing of putting someone on a horse and then like, okay, pull back to say, whoa, you good, you comfortable. And then just riding <laughs> off. And because that's how my, that's how my family operates. That's how many generations of ranching families have operated. And I just loved that you shared that because it was such an eye-opening moment for all of us, like, because we could put ourselves in that position. We could put ourselves in that position of what must that have felt like to not know how to do something. And then farmers and ranchers are a little intimidating. You didn't want to, I, 
sometimes don't even want to ask my own family for instructions because I'm like, well, I should probably just know. I guess I'll just follow along on horse and hope I don't get yelled at or am in the wrong spot at the wrong time. So talk about that a little bit as well, you know, because we talked about the communication between like farmers and ranchers and people who maybe didn't grow up in it. And I 100% think there is room to improve on. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, you can't see me over here laughing and nodding my head, but um, I, I feel like it is just such an intimidating world to come into. And I um, was remembering the story that I may or may not have shared with you, but I was working on a story in, in Montana and um, I show up and I'm a little bit late and I'm already like fearful that I'm late because they have woken up early and they're moving cows to a different pasture and the roads were super muddy like some of the worst roads I've ever driven on and I show up to this house and the woman comes out and tells me where the guys are who are moving cows and she's like can you drive this truck and the truck looks fine like I can drive the truck but it's hooked up to a I don't know it seems like 100 cows would fit into this gooseneck trailer and she's like can you drive the trailer down there and I'm like uh oh uh and I just totally stall out and I end up saying it you know it's been a while which is so untrue I've (laughs) I have like very little experience driving trailers and I'm even I feel myself embarrassed to admit that but I'm like there's no way I want to take this giant gooseneck trailer on these terrible roads and she looks over at her nephew who's like eight and she's like well do you mind if so-and-so drives and I was like no way because I was like yes done great because I know that as an eight-year-old he probably has 10 times the experience driving this setup than I do. And the ranch kids are basically like just shorter adults. It's just, they're so knowledgeable. So I laugh when I tell that story because I feel like in that moment, I probably just could have said, wow, I've never, I've actually never done that before. And it would have been totally fine. But the intimidation factor, not being in that world, and coming into it, I feel is something that could be better communicated from both ends, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I was born and bred and raised in it and I can relate. I get intimidated by my own family. I just, before we got on here, I Mm -hmm. recorded a podcast with um, the Lep sisters out of Canada. And I don't know what we were talking about. We were something very similar. And I said, oh yeah, like you don't ask for instructions in my family. You just like ride along and you say a secret prayer behind like my grandpa and my uncle and you just like pray to God that you can read like the body language enough to sort of figure out what you're supposed to be doing because like you don't want to, but it's so stupid. Like neither of them would probably, like I know my pappy wouldn't yell at me if I asked like, do you know what we're doing? Like, could you communicate (laughs) what gate we're trying to like move them through rather than just like, you know, so I, 
gosh, I'm so glad that you said that and that we talked about it out loud because I 100% concur. It, we just need to be better at communicating amongst one another, amongst uh, those who are you know, new to the community and who are coming in and I think it's a work in progress. <laughs> God, it's a work in progress. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You know, we talk about yeah. the things that, you know, maybe farmers and ranchers can improve. What do you like most about the community? Because the cool thing about you, you know, I sort of follow you along and I see your, you know, like your cowboy boots and you're farming and you're like doing all these cool things. And so I just, I know that you have a love and appreciation for the, you know, the farming and ranching culture. What is it that you love most about it? Yeah, I think what I love most about it is the people who I'm working with have a deep passion and a passion for the land, a passion for <laughs> caring for animals, caring like ev every rancher I've met has a deep love for their cows. And I feel like I have just learned that being a farmer, a rancher, does not monetarily pay out in the end. And the amount of work and time and effort that gets put into it doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking away and you're super wealthy. It's like the people who get into it are doing it because they love it so much. And I feel like from a photo standpoint, that's the best part is you can see the love of land or just for the lifestyle that comes along with it, being out in the field every day. I think getting to see that on people's faces or their body language or through conversation, it's so deep-rooted and honest that it has just made it a really enjoyable thing to photograph. Oh, gosh, and your photos are just breathtakingly phenomenal. I'm going to share, of course, your Instagram and your website. And I just encourage everyone listening, just get on. If you're having a, a hard day in 2020, just get on and look at Becca's photos. It will just bring you instant peace and tranquility. And um, I want to talk a little bit about titles, the, the farmer yeah. title, because right off the bat, you sort of were like, ooh, and I sort of, I'm that way with the influencer title. When people refer to me as an influencer, yeah. I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I want that title. And you and I have talked a lot about, you know, the, the farmer. Can I call myself a farmer? Like, you know, I see your pictures, like you're farming. I'm like, yes, you are a farmer. You are a farmer. In my eyes, you are, a, you know, just a fancy lady farmer. But let's talk a little bit about first the hesitation to call yourself a farmer. And then I want to learn a little bit about, because I'm going to be full disclosure, I don't know what this means. Your Instagram says a Montana farmer in a permaculture food forest. I want you to talk about what yeah. a permaculture food forest is. I'm intrigued. Sure. Totally. So I think the hesitancy to call myself a farmer is because I'm not growing food for a CSA program or like a grocery store or we're not selling our produce. We are trying to, my husband and I are just trying to be sustainable in our food. A lot of people, including myself, have thought about farmers as people who provide food for a large amount of people. And when I say we have a farm, people often think like, wow, how many 
acres of food do you grow? And I'm like, well, it's not really like that. And so I, I think the hesitancy is just a shift in perspective. And the fact is I do grow food and I grow food for my family and my community or we grow food for our family and our community, but it's such imposter syndrome, you know, and I've tried to be more comfortable with that term. And it's slowly growing on me, like ask in another year and maybe I'll (laughs) say, oh yeah, I'm for sure a farmer. But that's where the hesitancy comes from. Being a farmer in a permaculture food forest, it might look really different from just what people imagine as farming. So we have a one acre permaculture food forest and it is based on the natural system of the world. So permaculture is based on what happens out in the wild. You're pulling or cutting plants that have died and laying them at the foot of those plants so that they turn into mulch and create more soil. Your primary focus is soil health, creating biodiversity, and growing plants next to each other, doing a lot of companion planting so that there are nitrogen takers and nitrogen um, fixers or plants that are providing more nitrogen. So you're just trying to even it out so you're not robbing the soil of anything, but you're actually building soil health while you're growing food. It feels pretty sciencey, but gosh, I feel like Native communities were doing that for a very long time. And we're just now coming around to learning about it. It's a big learning process of what works, what doesn't work, and not trying to change around the soil to make things work for us, but really just trying to operate in a world where we're following natural systems. Gosh, that's so darn interesting. I love it. I feel like I just did not do that justice. Um, I kind of word vomited everything that I know about permaculture but it's really fascinating i guess the other big thing is there's no spraying so we pull all the weeds by hand including all the grass and all the rhizominous grass and if you ever tried to weed grass out of a garden just imagine that at one acre a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) a nightmare literally a nightmare that's so cool though and you know i always and i know i've told you this i always sort of argue back to you no you are a farmer you can be you can call yourself a farmer if you want to call yourself a cowgirl you know what you've ridden a four-wheeler across a pasture moving cows in my mind that qualifies you as a cowgirl because that's really what I'm trying to build with my brand and my platform is that there is no wrong or right way to be a part of the community. And that just because you had never driven a gooseneck did not make you suddenly less valuable to the ranching community Mm. because that camera strapped to you and your storytelling ability and you're willing to learn about it makes you incredibly invaluable to the ranching community. And the same with farming, you know, you and, and your husband, you know, he's a chef and I, I know you guys are, you know, you're bringing that food into your home and you're cooking it and you're eating it and you know, you're, protecting the land. And I mean, that makes you a farmer. So, you know, I just, that's what I love about you. I love, um, you know, that you're just so willing to, 
to be vulnerable about the fact that you, you don't have all the answers and you are trying to learn. And I think that that's something that even within the agriculture community is really hard. It's hard for us to admit we don't know all the answers. It's like, I almost, I was like, should I be embarrassed that I don't know what permaculture, like what that means? <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to ask it. I'm just going to be vulnerable and ask. And so I, that's what I appreciate about you is just your willingness to be vulnerable because then I think it just makes you that much more open to learning. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how boring would it be if we all had all the answers? You know, I feel like I constantly get humbled in the farming space I definitely am humbled in the ranching space and by having space to learn and learn from people who know more about things than we do and sharing things that we know I mean it just creates a much stronger community than this narrow point of view then it it's just so much better with diverse voices it really is Mm, so well said. So much better with diverse voices. Okay, before I let you go, I have to know because I'm just like reading over my notes. You know, you've lived in your car and you've traveled all over the West and you've, you know, you went to Indonesia, you've been all over the world. Do you have like a favorite adventure or like a favorite story or just some wild thing? Because I'm sure you have seen so many cool things and just so many wild experiences. So is there one that just like comes to mind that you're like, yeah, that was like once in a lifetime? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely probably not my favorite experience, but the one that I definitely look back on and I'm like, whew, I came out of that such a stronger person. I was working on a show for National Geographic uh, filming a wildlife videographer so I was filming him, but we were looking for coastal wolves off the coast of Vancouver. And we lived in a tent on this island that is not populated um, for 30 days looking for coastal wolves. And that just living in a tent uh, for that long is not something that I've done before. And that was definitely super interesting um learning how to carry all your own food for that amount of time and just be self-sustaining it was uh it was pretty awesome um and an experience that I probably wouldn't do again maybe I would but <laughs> it uh <laughs> it was it was definitely one of the most unique experiences that I've had for sure that's wild. Okay, so I have to ask, did you find the wolves? Like, did you see them in the 30 days you were there? No. Isn't that oh, terrible? Bummer. Bummer. Because yeah. you started the story and I was like, oh no, a wolf came into the t I was like, oh no, what happened? <laughs> no, no. But it's, uh, you know, it was like probably, I don't want to use the word boring, but Every single day, you have the same schedule. So you wake up, you have breakfast, and then you walk to your wildlife blind, and you sit in your wildlife blind and just wait. Mm. And we did that every day for 30 days. So to not see a wolf was awful. But on this island, it's also bald eagles, and the birding was amazing, and there's black bears and mountain lions. And there's uh, just such 
diversity in the ecosystem, it was, we got to see everything except for wolves and, and mountain lions, which mountain lions I could do without, you know. But, yes, so it worked out. Um, all in all, it sort of, yeah. sort of worked out. Is there one thing, yeah. anything in all the world that you want to photograph that you have not yet photographed what would it be or is there something that you're just like dang that is such goals to go to this place or video this an or photograph this animal or this person or this landscape is there anything that you've just like sort of dreamt about because you've done so many cool things I'm like what's her like one what's the big the big big oh man that's a great question I that's a great question. I was looking uh, before the pandemic hit, I was looking at these, um, it's an old form of fishing in Japan and Asia that they're fishing with cormorants. So this big bird that dies down and you basically have the cormorant on a little piece of string that it dies down and gets fish and it comes back up to their boat and then dumps fish into their basket. So it's, it's a really, no one's actively doing that anymore, but it's turned into this traditional practice for storytelling efforts and just trying to keep their culture alive and for tourism. And the whole, the whole idea of working with animal partnerships in that way is super fascinating to me like for a while was photographing falconers people hunting with golden eagles or red-tailed hawks um, here in Montana and just that aspect of working with animals is so so interesting to me so that's on the top or pretty close to the top of my list of of stories to photograph once COVID or pandemic is, is subsiding. But um, between now and then, gosh, I just feel like trying to tell a story about what we're doing here on the food forest and um, trying to tell stories that are close to home. There's plenty of stuff that I'm excited about working on over here too. Yeah, you're in such a just like prime location for just really cool storytelling. And even like your place, you know, every now and then like I'll see little snippets of the outside of your home or the inside or your little, you know, area where you're growing your food. And it's just like it's almost magical because so many of us are so detached from that level of connection with like nature and the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And it's just like I'm jealous. I, I see your videos and I'm like, man. I always preach and preach like I love living in the city. I love the big skylines. I love the, but I see what you're doing and I'm like, oh, that must be so peaceful. And so just like a, a literally a breath of fresh air. So I say share the heck out of your story because I think that it is such a cool story and it's just a story worth telling. And I think it's hard for us. Sometimes we feel like what we're doing is just like, it, it's normal to us. And I think it's sort of the same with you. Like yeah. that's just what you do, but just know to like outsiders looking in, like it's so fascinating, all of the cool things that you do. Thanks. And yeah, I thank you for being my 
I, I have a handful of people who I go to for ranchy questions and I'm like, Courtney, do I wear my cowboy boots on the outside of my pants or the inside <laughs> of my pants? Like, um, just thanks for being one of those people in that circle too, where, you know, it's, it's so easy to converse with you and ask you questions. And yeah, it's, I love seeing parts of your life too. So Thank oh, well, you for sharing. Well, thank you. No, and I'm so glad that you come to me with those questions. And, and I loved that question uh, for you, all of you listening, you know, Becca was like, oh my gosh, like I went to an event and I had tucked my pants into my cowboy boots, but like everyone else had them outside. And Becca, to be very honest, I was sort of like, you were like, what, you know, which one is more appropriate? And I, I sort of had to think about it. And I was like, well, either is fine. And I think the answer I gave you was like, you know, traditionalists, I guess, will pull their pants over their boot. But it's things like that, that I love that you come to me because it's so eye opening to me from a standpoint of like, yet again, we're doing something that like people pick up on and they want to understand why they do it. And even things as simple as why we wear cowboy boots and why we wear cowboy hats, you know, things like that. I just am so thankful that you feel comfortable coming to me. And I wish that everyone in the agriculture industry was like that. You know, I wish people, we could, I don't even feel comfortable asking people in the agriculture industry certain questions. I just <laughs> wish that we were a little yeah. more like kind, I guess, and, and willing to just explain things. Cause it's not that, I mean, we just listened to this whole podcast. You are absolutely fascinating. You are highly educated. You know, you have all the pieces. It's not a, oh, she's a silly, she doesn't get it. Like she wouldn't understand. And it's so far from the truth. And I think that, you know, sometimes as farmers and ranchers, we just like write people off without really giving them the opportunity and like showing them and, and answering questions. So I just love, I love that you, that you come to me with those questions and, and the same with you. I know I could like ask you anything like, what is permaculture? Should I know that? I should probably know that, but I don't. Um, so I appreciate yeah you know, you just always sharing your story. So thank you so very much. You're one of my favorite people. I just was fascinated with you from the moment I heard you speak. And, um, I hope that, I hope I get to come back to Montana. I'm trying to think when we had, we had dinner. When was that? That was this year. Was that this year? I guess it was this year. Yeah. It's funny. I was just listening to the podcast with Jatana and I was like, Oh my gosh, that was this year. Yeah. We had dinner in February, which it, feels like maybe four years ago. At least. At least. Can you believe that? I know. Oh, this year has been wild. But no, I'm so thankful that I got to see you. And and I just like, I keep thinking, I'm like, one of these days I'm going to like connect with Becca and I'm going to work on something with her. I don't know what it's gonna, going to be. Like, I don't know where the, the TV host and the photographer come together, but I'm going to manifest it for us and it's going to be a grand adventure. So I hope you're as excited as I, I am. <laughs> I am. I'm in. Put my name down on that list. I'm so in. And I, I'm constantly thinking about ways to work together too, truly. And um, gosh, it's just, thank you for talking to me. And thanks for having me on the podcast. I, I feel like there are good things in our future working together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining the Cowgirl Problems podcast. I will share all of Becca's info so everyone can follow her and be fascinated and just uh, be her friend. Because the minute you start following her, you're going to just want to be her friend because she's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs>